second reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6 and reading from verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Ken, for reading God's word to us this morning. Well, shall we uh, come to our God in prayer? Let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. As we look at this very important topic of spiritual warfare and your armor for us, Lord, we pray that your spirit will do a great work today, that Satan will not have a foothold in our lives. That you'd continue, Lord, to empower us through your spirit to live with the armor of God as soldiers of Christ marching on. In Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> well, friends, this morning, as I as said in my prayer as well, we are looking at a very important topic today on the issue of spiritual warfare and God's armor. I say this is important because sometimes we can underestimate the power of the cosmic forces that are around us in this world. As we know, sadly, war is a fact of life. The world has witnessed many wars, and even right, right now, there are wars taking place uh, in the world. We have an honor board in, this, in our building here, the names of members from this congregation who fought and lost their lives in battle. No one 
likes wars. But the sad reality is that we live in a world that there will be wars all the time. But this morning I want to speak to you about another war that is being waged all around us. And this is a serious war. It is a spiritual warfare. A warfare that is ongoing. A warfare that is real. A warfare that does not have a cease fire. It is constant. It is said that Martin Luther, the great reformer, threw his inkwell, the little pen that he was writing at the devil, because he perceived the presence of Satan in spiritual warfare. And this spiritual attack came upon Martin Luther while he was translating the New Testament into the common language of the people. And apparently, apparently he said that the ink stain is still visible on the wall in Luther's room at Wartburg. It is still visible. We can't probably see that on that, on that particular PowerPoint, but that's what they've said. The experience of Martin Luther teaches us that as Christians, we are not immune to spiritual warfare. Or are we? We're not. The church is on a continuous spiritual warpath. The Bible's worldview is that God's people, His church, is in a spiritual war with evil and there is no truce in this spiritual war. There is no cessation of hostilities or a ceasefire. It is an ongoing spiritual battle in this world. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends in Christ, as we have worked our way through Ephesians, it might seem a kind of a surprise that suddenly where Paul has spoken about submission, uh, husbands and wives, uh, wives who submit to their husbands as unto the Lord and so forth, and then with parents and uh, children, children submit to their parents, slaves submit to their masters, and suddenly we have Paul interspersing and coming out with this issue of spiritual warfare. Why would Paul do this? Because it is real. The Ephesians had witnessed some of these forces at work. Think, for example, of Paul's time at Ephesus. This is what happened. God did extraordinary things, Acts chapter 19. Extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And, notice what happened. The evil spirits left them. And as we read in Acts chapter 19, we see that some of the Jewish exorcists trying to cast out evil spirits. Uh, you can read from verses 13 onwards. Some of these itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the evil spirits saying, I command you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims, leave. And you know what happened? Something happened here. The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's the power of Satan, the demonic force in a person's life. 
And in Acts chapter 19, we read also that many of those who were believers, who were, who were now believers, came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Ephesians, before they came to faith in Jesus, were practicing some of these magic arts. They were confronted with evil spirits. And evil spirits were at work in the lives of people. And so Paul was casting out these spirits. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones took this subject very seriously. And he preached, guess how many sermons on this section? Verses 10 to 19. Knowing the good old doctor, how many do you think he preached? 21. <laughs> 21 sermons. Now, brothers, I must say, friends, when I heard that and thought, I looked at this and I was discussing this text with my friends last week at the assembly and uh, said to me, Chris, are crazy? How can you go on 22 sermons? I said, can I top that one up? We wouldn't do that. William Gurnall, the famous Puritan who wrote the book The Christian in Complete Armor, wrote about a thousand pages on these ten verses. About a thousand pages. For such is the reality and the seriousness of the subject that's before us. It really is. And so how should we deal with spiritual warfare against us, God's people throughout the world? Well, this morning we will see how we go with time as well. Uh, it's a massive text, obviously. We will look at this passage under three headings. We'll see how we work our way through, okay? Be alert, be equipped, and be strong. So, divide the passage under those three headings. Be alert, be equipped, be alert, verse 12, be equipped, 11, uh, 13 to 17, and be strong, verse 10. So, be alert. So, keep your Bibles open, please, uh, to that passage, uh, which, which will be helpful. Uh, Paul says here in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Think about that. Do we get it? Who is this battle against? Who is this enemy? We see a powerful, friends, a very powerful combination of forces in the text before us. Forces of immense power of cosmic proportions. Forces of evil. The terms against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world are terms that speak of spiritual forces, as is evident in the book of Ephesians. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. The spirit that now is at work. You see, Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is, that we do not wrestle against mere, frail men. But on the contrary, we wrestle against supernatural forces of immense power and evil. You see, the word wrestle means, is that of a wrestling contest. Have you seen those sumo wrestlers? Are massive guys. I can't, I can't hardly move. But they, boy, you think they should be going to the biggest loser move, uh, program. They are moving like tanks. And they wrestle with each other. 
And then have you seen the other wrestling shows in the US that comes on TV and there's this jumping and this blood coming out and you think, I put that on, I watch it and Rose and the others and the girls will say, don't, don't, don't watch that, that's not good. And the guys jump on top of each other and rush. The point is, friends, that the picture here is, it, it, it is a wrestling match. It indicates a hand-to-hand fighting. It is sweat against sweat. And a victor in this instance is decided when he's able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. And so Paul uses this term to refer to the Christians or the church's struggle of these cosmic powers attacking God's people. It is a wrestle that's going on. And so these cosmic powers are at work. They are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is, they are not in heaven as in where Jesus is. They are in the sphere of the invisible reality. But they are active. They are, as one writer puts it, spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. They are utterly unscrupulous and ruthless in their pursuit of malicious designs. They are powerful. They are destructive with the use of their power. They are dangerous. That is, they are cunning and crafty. Now, what's the source of such powers? Who do you think the source of such power is? Satan. Satan is sometimes called in the Bible the ruler of this world. John chapter 12. Satan is called the God of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Or the cosmic power over this dark world of darkness. Ephesians 6.12 our text. Satan is the prince of demons. And so we see a very telling message about Satan. He is the one who brings evil and is in the business of destroying minds in this world. Hence, we must be alert about Satan's attacks and schemes. Recall Paul's warning to the church in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. In other words, friends, Satan will infiltrate, Paul says, the leadership with false teachers and leaders and he loves to infiltrate the membership and cause division. He loves to get the church to fight each other with gossips and slanders and factions. And I ask the question, how can a team win if they are fighting each other in the locker room? Can you? You can't. You can't win. If you are fighting each other in the locker room. I was speaking to a brother this past week. And he said to me, Chris, I have a battle both inside the church and outside the place. The outside ones I can handle by God's grace. But the inside ones are extremely painful. And how true is that? I actually sent him a text yesterday and encouraged this brother in Christ. You see... If Satan can just keep the church from the unity of the gospel and the message of the gospel or personal differences and petty preferences, then he can separate the church and cause chaos. So we ought to be alert, friends. Never to be a tool in the hands of Satan. For example, causing unnecessary issues and whispers in the church. There's one elder in this congregation, I won't name him, 
who keeps on reminding me, Chris, let us be aware that as the church grows, Satan will also become more active. A brother that keeps on constantly saying to me, You see, these cosmic powers of spiritual darkness are Satan and his band of demons having a constant spiritual onslaught against God's people. Forces of cosmic power can also no doubt use institutions or governments to bring upon attacks or assaults of God's people. Correct? Why do I say this? History is a testimony of where governments persecuted Christians. Think of the Roman Empire. And their persecution of Christians. Consider the current ongoing persecution of Christians today. I was reading on Friday the voice of the martyrs. Just to get an idea of what was going on and what is going on. I read their global report on persecution. I was appalled to read of the level of persecution of Christians in so many countries. According to the Pew Research Center, we read the following. According to Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population lives in areas where severe religious restriction and many of these people are Christians. Also, according to the United States Department of State, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their who? <laughs> from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Christ. Think about our modern secular state in the Western world. It has it has now, I think, a new, untouchable religion. And you know what that untouchable religion, in my view? It is secular humanism. Alright? We have the challenge of this upon our world. It, it, it sees as a grave threat anyone who will not bow down to secular humanism, which we see being brought to bear upon the church. We have right here in our state... The right, right here in our state, the issue of SRI in schools. And John, John highlighted that. The challenges, the hostilities against the church. The hostilities against the Christian gospel. You see it, don't you? Don't you see it around you? Anything Christian is being pushed aside, marginalized, laughed upon. Scoffed at all oh, these Christians, those fuddy duddies, they don't understand. We are living today in the 21st modern world. You heard that? What a modern world we live in, don't we? <laughs> what a modern world. I mean, some of you senior members in this congregation, you must look back and ask the question, what a world we live in. Those of you who are born in this country in Australia, and senior members of this church, you must look back and say, where is our nation going today? What is happening with the gospel? What is happening to Christianity today? The challenge even to get rid of the Westminster system of government. Now, I'm not going into the debate of republic or not. and That's not my issue here. But our parliaments, thank the Lord for that. Still, our federal parliament starts its sessions with the Lord's Prayer, right? Even that has been wanted to be pushed out of the agenda because... It does not fit in to our culture. So we ought not to be surprised. The church must be alert to these spiritual cosmic evil powers led by Satan and his band of demons. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way when he says, 
I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact. The being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser and his fiery darts. How true is the statement? How true it is? We have forgotten the fact that the devil is active. Have we? We have. What? So how should we stand in the face of such powerful forces? I believe Paul suggests two strategies here. He says, be equipped by putting on God's armor and by being strong in the mighty power of the Lord. So verses 11, uh, 13 to 17 Put on the full armor of God. You see this word full armor is the word English word, the, 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 the original word. And we get this English word from this word, the Greek word, a panoply. Which essentially means the complete battle gear of the warrior. The complete armor. You see the Roman soldier, he, he, he had, and Paul, Paul mentions here, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. Prepared for battle. Uh, if you've been to Rome, uh, maybe you've got caught to this trick. There are guys who are dressed like Roman soldiers. Okay? And they come around you and say, Foro, foro, foro. And we poor tourists don't get this. Oh yeah, that'll be nice, that'll be nice. Let's take a photo. No charge? No, it's all okay. It's all. We stand there and these guys are all dressed with their gear. And at the end of it they say, 25 euros? What? <laughs> Fortunately, we had some coins, so we said, you can have these coins. They're dressed in their armor, the Roman soldiers, to, to give the impression that they are at war. These are great, valiant soldiers. Not the guys who are waiting for photos, but in the past, these soldiers. And so Paul mentions six indispensable items of the armor. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. You see, the Roman soldier, friends, was well equipped to face the enemy. And Paul uses the analogy drawn from his own experience with Roman soldiers. He was in prison. He knew. He had seen Roman soldiers. And the point is that if we are to wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, then we have to be equipped with the armor of God. Correct? The panoply of the Roman soldier included both his defensive gear and his offensive weaponry engaged in battle and God's word calls us to be equipped. The armor, dear friends, is God's armor. And they are spiritual. In the Old Testament, it is God himself who is the warrior who fights for his people. And he shares now his armor with us. And we are to put them on and go to war with the spiritual forces of darkness. Let's look at these uh, things very quickly. The belt of truth. Stand firm. The first one. Uh, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You see, the soldier gathered the folds of his robe and, tight, and, knitted, and put it tightly around his waist with a tight, heavy belt fastened 
to his waist. So that when he ran, he had flexibility of running around without worrying about this, the, the tunic that he was wearing. The belt held it all together. And Paul says here, fasten to the belt of truth. And so what is truth? See, this could be objective truth about Jesus. It could be the truth about God. Or it could be truth about our personal character. But Paul says, the point is, be put the belt of truth. The truth of who Jesus is. The truth about the character of God. The truth about our own character can be combined, as some authors would say, or commentators, upholding and having truth. Because when you are centered in truth, your life stands strong. Correct? The truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The word of God is truth. And so hold fast to this. Like a belt. You can stand strong. So that when things come our way and we are questioning everything else that's going on around us and Satan's put in all of these spiritual forces of darkness, cosmic power, we hold on to the, 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 the belt of truth. And if the church deviates from the truth, it's Satan's field, right? That's what happens. And when we deviate from truth in our own lives, and we speak untruth to our parents, to our work colleagues, to our friends, to our church, to our Christians, then we are degrading truth in our personal character, giving Satan a foothold. For example, in a relationship between a husband and a wife. If you are cheating against your husband or your wife, what do you say? Do you say, speak truth? Do you hide the truth? You're struggling with other issues in your life? Think about it. Then the breastplate of righteousness. That is, when we believe in Jesus, friends, these six things we could talk, two, three talks, okay? <laughs> I'm just going through this now. The, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, that is, when we believe in Jesus, we are made right with God through faith in Jesus. And His righteousness is imputed to us. So we stand right with God as Christians. Correct? We are righteous before God because my sin has been imputed to Christ and His righteousness has been imputed to me. That's the double imputation. Amazing work of God. So that's righteousness of God. But it could also mean righteous living as well. Living a right life before God. And so Paul says to you, it's one of the armors here, one of the things that you must have as part of your weaponry is to know that you're righteous before God, your life is right before God, and also you're living a righteous life as well before God. That's the way you're going to combat the forces of darkness. The shoes for feet. You see, in the ancient world, they did not have any artillery tanks like what we have. Armies apparently had elephants. They used to ride on their elephants and horses. But for the most part, soldiers were moving around with their feet, obviously. And they were called foot soldiers. And the gospel, Paul says, yes, have, your, have your shoes of the gospel. Look at what it says in the passage. It's very clear, isn't it? With the readiness of your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We have peace with God, right with God. And then we are called also to share the peace of the gospel around us. So when we are attacked, 
We are right with God and we are also taking the gospel of peace into the world. We are applying that rightness with God, the peace of God. The shield, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. You see, friends, this is very important. See, the shield was the defensive part of the equipment of the soldier. The shield was about six feet in, in height. And in some sense, guarded the soldier. And when, when somebody uh, sh- shot an arrow, the shield would protect the soldier. Just, we know that. Right? And so think about it spiritually. There are some days, I ask you the question. Don't you get fiery darts coming your way? Hmm? Sometimes from Satan, comes like boom, boom, thing. Man, what's happening here? And there are moments and the times, I've said with, with, uh, to Rosh as well, we, we talked about this, that sometimes these are attacks of the enemy. They just keep coming one after the other, boom, boom, boom. And so we have the shield of faith. The faith that God has given to us in Christ, that we put this shield in front of us, not our own strength, but to say, God, we exercise the shield of faith. We are trusting you to deal with these fiery darts that come our way. Bang, bang, bang. By ourselves, we'll get hit from all sides. I was reading about Achilles, that's how you pronounce it, Achilles heel. You know that, the story. Well, it's a fascinating story, actually. He said that his mother took this, this little boy and dipped him in, in, in some kind of a water or some kind of thing, whatever it was, but did not dip, could not dip the, the heel of his foot. And that was the weakness there. And the, an arrow was shot at the heel of his foot, and then he was killed. Now, the rest of his body was all okay, covered. And the Achilles heel, there was a place of vulnerability. That's the point. And Paul is saying here, you've got to have this shield of faith. When the darts come, when the arrows come our way, and we are hit from all sides, you hold this shield of faith. Oh God, help me to exercise my faith in you. I put the shield of faith, trust in you, to carry me through, right? That's what it is. A helmet of salvation. The helmet, as we know, protects the head. Uh, I have ridden, I had bikes in Sri Lanka. I forced my, I, I forced my parents, but I troubled them until they bought me a bike. My dad, I think, was so fed up with it that he said, okay, let's go and get a bike. So I bought, they bought me a bike, but we never had helmets in Sri Lanka. I've never ridden a bike with helmets. It's completely new to me. Never saw what a helmet looked like even in the first instance. And so one day I fell down and I hit the barbed wire fence and I got a massive scar here and it's still there. Thank the Lord that my head was saved. Really do. The point is our helmet protects our heads. As we know, a fatal blow to the head can result in death. Now, although Satan cannot kill the soul, he can wound our hearts and minds with doubts about our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. One writer puts it this way, Charles Sodger, great theologian, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is in fact that he is saved. So Paul says, keep this helmet of salvation. Know that you are always saved. Correct? 
Don't let Satan put doubts in your mind about whether you are saved. I ask people sometimes, if you die today, will you go to heaven? I've asked this from people who sat in churches. I, th- I hope I am good enough. And I think, what, 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 say it again to me. I hope I am good enough. I hope God will be merciful to me. Of course, you'll be never good enough. How good is good? We'll never be good enough, right? We'll be all the time climbing this ladder of good works. Good, 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 good. And you will never be good enough. There is only one good. And that is Christ himself. God himself is good. And it is Christ who has taken all my sin and made me good in the sight of Christ. The helmet of salvation says... No matter what the darts, no matter how Satan attacks me, no matter how much the cosmic powers of darkness attacks the church, we are saved in Christ alone. That's what it is. Don't let Satan put those things down. No, the helmet of salvation. Stand up with the helmet of salvation. And then there is the sword of the Spirit. This is an offensive weapon of the soldier. The soldier is not simply standing and waiting around. Instead, he's in battle ready and rushing into fight. He's both defending and attacking. This is the only weapon that can be used for attack. Notice that. The sword of the spirit is immediately identified as what? As the word of God. The sword in view here is a short sword. Which means that the attack is close and upfront. It's not like one of those long drawn swords. It's close and upfront. Personal. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan? He used scripture to disarm, disarm Satan. God's word as cutting power. Hebrews 4.12 There are, Here are six indispensable items that constitute God's armor that he supplies. It is his armor for us. And it is our responsibility, brothers and sisters in Christ, to take it up, to put them on, and use them confidently against the powers of darkness, Satan and his demons, these cosmic powers. As someone has said, our enemies are on every side, and so must our armor be on the right hand and on the left. And then, we have to be called to be strong. Right? And I think that one, we will take up next week. To be strong. And I want to focus on that together with the passage about prayer as well. Uh, to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. It's all here in the notes, but I think we've had sufficient for the morning. We will cover that next time. So the armor of God, let me wind this up, is given for us. We have to put this armor on, the six items mentioned for us. Recognize the spiritual forces of darkness, correct? The onslaught upon God's church is staggering. When I got the message last night from uh, Ian's parents, they were really upset. I prayed with them over the phone. We don't know what our brothers and sisters are going through in our own lives. 
there will be that onslaught as well. In our own country here in Australia, are we not facing the attacks upon Christianity? The church, we are. But we remain strong in Christ. We put on the armor of God. We stand strong in this armor because we know that our God is a mighty and powerful God. So be alert and be equipped. And next time we will look at what it means to be strong and also to be praying. Alright? So by God's grace I trust that he will encourage us when we face this new week. Remember this text and remember the Lord is with us moment by moment and day by day. And as John says, greater is he who is in us than who is outside. And Paul reminds in Romans chapter 8, that great and powerful text, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Satan is powerful, but greater is our Savior, who died on the cross, was again from the dead. Satan is wounded, but one day he'll be bound forever. And all this that happens, and as I prepared in this text, I thought to myself, God, why, why would you let these things happen? It is part of God's providential plan. And he sustains and refines the church for himself. May God equip us to be strong in him. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for your armor that you give to us, Lord. The armor of God. We pray that we will put them on in faith. Equip us, Lord, to face the challenges, the cosmic powers of darkness in this world. That we will be alert to the schemes of the evil one. And thank you that you have equipped us with your armor. So graciously provided for your people. Build your church, O Lord. Protect your church and preserve it. For we know, as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail upon the church. Because our Savior is alive. Our Savior is the King. And one day, all these cosmic forces of darkness will be done and finished. In Jesus' name. Amen.